Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. John chapter 9. Before uh, I surrendered to preach at the age of 14, I felt God calling me uh, to preach, and um, r- toward the end of my high school, school career, I began to really question whether or not God had called me to preach, so I decided I would pursue being a history teacher, and so my undergraduate is actually uh, a degree that would allow me to teach uh, social studies or history, which I love. I'm a historian. I love to study history, all the aspects of it. I thoroughly enjoy, but of course, uh, you know, it's not the end of the story, but you know how the story is going so far. God called me to preach, and uh, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad to uh, be doing what God has called me to do, but as a historian, I still love to, to read and to study about history, although I've stopped watching the History Channel because, uh, well, they've got like ancient aliens and all that stuff now. It's not, none of that's a history biography or anything now, but as a historian, uh, as an amateur, amateur historian, I've got, uh, I've got a theory, okay? I want you to hold out uh, with me on this theory for just a moment. My theory as uh, an amateur historian is that I consider the true history of any given subject, subtract the Bible, the true history to be lost. Now, I say that for this reason. There are things that we can know about history. We can know facts, and we can know uh, vaguely what happened and when they happened. But of all the human beings who have ever existed, the trillions and trillions of human beings who have ever existed, only a thimbleful of those people's lives are still told. Only a thimbleful of those people's lives were remembered past their children or past their grandchildren. And of that small minority of people whose names and whose, whose stories were carried on, All of their hopes and fears and anxieties and joys and dreams, all of that, we condense down to just a few nouns and verbs and adjectives on a page. Now you judge for yourself. If you want to be remembered in your life, could a paragraph sum up your heartaches and your loves? Could a book contain all these things, I suggest to you, no, not, not really. And one of the big issues I found, even as I began to uh, teach or student teach in history, one of the biggest challenges was showing my students that, number one, history is biography. There is no history outside of biography. You must learn these people that you are studying But one of the challenges facing every history teacher is to teach his students that these are not just, just because we read these words on a page, we tend to distance ourselves from them and we can kind of dehumanize them. But the challenge for us is that we acknowledge, that we acknowledge that these were 
people with real heartaches, with real lives, with anxieties and other things that, that go on in their life. They're real people just like us. And the same problem happens when we come to the Bible. So often we read these words, and today we just pass over this story. It's just another account in the Bible. But these, this today, what we will read about is an individual whose life, his entire trajectory changed in just a moment. A man who had lived years, years in a terrible, terrible estate, and suddenly his life was changed. He's not just some character that we read about on a page, but someone who truly existed. And so now it is our goal as we read God's Word to look intently into life of this blind man and see the moment that changed his life forever. The Gospel of John in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, hear now the word of the Lord. And as he passed by, that is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you know my inabilities and my weaknesses. And so, Father, we desire deeply right now a powerful movement of your Holy Spirit across this room, up and down the aisles and in this pulpit. Father, you would give me the correct words to preach to your people that the lost would be saved and that the saved would be drawn closer to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. We're continuing, continuing our series in the Gospel of John, which our theme is believe. Our theme is that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name. And every chapter, every verse in this book that we have read so far has, has been to elicit belief, to produce belief in our lives. This week and next week will be our last times in the Gospel of John for this year. And we wrap up by looking at this incredible account of a man who was born blind, whose entire life was changed in just a matter of moments. And so as we look at our text today, I want you to observe with me four things. Number one, in verses one and two, I want you to see the condition of the man. The condition 
of the man. Look with me in verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. Uh, it could have been right immediately after chapter 8 or sometime could have elapsed. Uh, there's no reason to believe that it happened just then. But in any case, he is leaving Jerusalem and he happens to pass by this man who is blind and has been blind from birth. In our text, we read of no plea from the blind man to Jesus for restoring his sight. There's no begging for mercy as a matter of fact, according to this text, it appears that there is virtually no awareness of Jesus' presence at all. And yet Jesus stops. He's passing by, he stops, and he casts his merciful eyes upon him. Look at the condition of the man. In verse 1, we learn that he is blind and that he was blind from birth. His eyes never beheld his mother or father he never saw the beauty of a sunset he's never seen all of the colors of the rainbow and the colors of the sky he has no idea he has been born blind now think about this we're getting in our mind in the in the process of looking at this is not just a a man in a story but an actual human being he had never seen a single Thing. And he was born in this condition. Because he was born blind, he was also helpless. In verse 8, we learn that he was a helpless beggar. Now today, if you are born blind, if you have some type of disability, there are some advantages that we have in our society today. Perhaps there is a national program that can provide you with money to make sure that your resources are taken care of, that you can have food or a place to live. But that is not so in the New Testament. Today, perhaps even with, we've seen the wonderful stories of those who've had disabilities, who are, who are able to continue on in life and even be successful. But that is not the case in the New Testament time. Not only was this man blind, unable to see a thing, he was helpless. He had been placed by his parents. We'll learn next week he has parents that are still around. And they have placed him at this particular road, at this particular corner, so that he can beg for money. This money that he would receive would help pay for his food, help pay to keep him alive but he is unable to take care of himself. He is utterly helpless, begging for a living. But not only is he helpless, in verse 2, we learn that he is hopeless. Now the disciples ask what I consider to be a rather insensitive question. In the presence of this man who has been blind from birth, I mean, he's blind, he's not deaf. They ask the following question. Rabbi or teacher, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's common beliefs during this time that God would allow this to happen 
uh, to people for sin. And not, he wouldn't do it for no reason. By the way, this is an incorrect theology. But the Jews at this time would have thought that he's blind. Uh-oh, it must have been something that his parents did. His parents must have been sinners. They must have done something wrong. They must have been rebellious. They must not have obeyed God's promise. And so God gave them what they deserve, a blind child. Can you imagine the rudeness of such a statement? The insensitivity of such a statement? Or another thought of the time was that perhaps the child had committed some type of sin in the womb. There are some who taught that the child could commit a sin in the womb. I'm not sure how that works. Maybe, hey, I didn't like what you just fed me or, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't know how that works. Certainly not biblically true, but they would have thought that maybe he did something. Or maybe, maybe God knew what a sinner this person was going to be. God knew they were going to do something evil, and so he blinded them from birth. That was the thought process of the disciples and many people at this time. Can you imagine what that type of society does to a young child who's growing up to be taught your whole life to be thought of as a mistake, to be thought of as someone who, who cannot help themselves, to be thought of someone who is evil from the time that you were born to... To, to grow up and really unloved. Your whole life, you're unworthy, you're unlovable, you're irredeemable. He believes that he is hopeless. And indeed, he is hopeless. Because guess what? Not only does everyone think that he or his family are filled with sinners, and that's why he's blind, but one day his parents will die and he will be left with nothing. He is blind. He is helpless. He is hopeless. That's the condition of the man. But look with me in verses 3 through 5 as we see the compassion of the Savior. Verse 3, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice the compassion of Jesus. The disciples are busy philosophizing. Their thoughts weren't completely unfounded, by the way. Not every sickness is caused by sin, but there are times... Biblically, we can understand where sickness falls upon a person, and it is a result of a sin. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30, when Paul is commanding the church not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, he says, some of you are taking it in an unworthy manner, and that's why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Jesus isn't focusing on the theology of that statement. But rather, Jesus is focusing on the man. I want you to hear this. I want you to write this down. Jesus saw in the blind man not a problem, but a possibility. Can I say that to you again? Jesus saw in the blind man not a problem, but, but a possibility. It is not this man's sin or his parents' sin that caused this sickness. 
but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What a wonderful thought. This was a planned moment. Before the angels ever sang their first song, before the earth was ever formed, God had planned this exact moment. And Jesus responds to their question, why is he blind? Was it because his mother and father sinned? Was it because of his own sin? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. He was born blind so that you can see what's about to happen. So that the glory of God can be shown. You see, Jesus saw in the blind man not a problem, but a possibility. And church, let me tell you, what a wonderful, wonderful news that I can share with you today is that for those of us who've been born again, for all who will repent and believe, Jesus doesn't see the problem, but the possibility. He has taken our sins from us, and he has robed us in the righteousness of Christ. When God the Father looks at us, those of us who've been born again, who've turned from our sins and turned to Jesus, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Not the problem, but the possibility. Jesus looks at this man whose entire life, he had known nothing. You know, I, in, in studying for this, I, I went and began to watch videos of Helen Keller, a fascinating story in human history. This young girl born blind and deaf and dumb, and yet this teacher's brought in to try to corral her and is then able to teach her, even though she's unable to see and unable to hear. She teaches her how to talk. I was watching a video. She says what they did is the first thing that she would do is she would take the little girl's hand and she put her thumb right here so that she could feel the vibrations of the throat. And then she would take her index finger and place it right here on the lips so they could feel the way the tongue moves and the way the lips move. Then they take the third finger and put it on the nose so she could feel the vibrations of the nose and those sounds that are made uh, with our noses. And from that, she taught her to use her first sentence. And her first sentence was, I am not dumb anymore. Jesus didn't see the problem, but he saw the possibility in this man. But not only that, Jesus saw in this situation not the possibility, but a promise. In verses 4 through 5, we read the following. Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying is he says, I have a very short window of earthly ministry. He's not saying that when he dies, that the light, he will no longer be the light of the world. He's not saying that he will no longer work. But Jesus' ministry on earth was short. And in that ministry, he did every single thing perfectly. Think about that. Not one wasted opportunity we frequently miss opportunities, don't we? We not only do the things that we're not supposed to do, but we often don't do the things that we're supposed to do. We miss opportunities all the time. Perhaps this year you'll be with your family, 
and uh, at Christmas time or Thanksgiving, there'll be someone who's lost, and an opportunity will present itself, and you'll shy away from it, and you'll miss the opportunity. A lot of times we miss opportunities because we're in a hurry. Well, I'm too busy. We take our eyes off of Jesus. No, I got to do this. I got to do that. We miss opportunities. Jesus never missed an opportunity. Not one wasted moment. Not one wasted second. Every bit of it intentional. And by the way, if there is any reason up until this point just to gaze upon Jesus and look at how awesome and wonderful he is, it's this. Look at Jesus who doesn't waste one singular moment. In his short ministry on earth, every single thing was done precisely with the right motivation, with the right tone in his voice. Everything done perfectly. Jesus saw this not for a possibility, but as a fulfillment for a fulfillment of a promise. Not just a man for his possibilities, but the situation as an opportunity to fulfill his promise. Thirdly, I want you to see the peculiarity of the miracle. The peculiarity of the miracle. We have seen the condition of the man and the compassion of the Savior. Now I want us to see the peculiarity of the miracle. Verse 6, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. You know, Jesus healed many blind people in his earthly ministry. If you go through the Gospels, you'll count five, six, somewhere around there. It was, a, it was a evidence of his messiahship. He says in Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 through 19, Jesus is quoting Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and listen, recovering of sight to the blind. He was showing evidence of what had been prophesied years and years and years before that he is who he is promised to be. It was evidence of his deity, of his messiahship. But what happens next is peculiar. He does something similar to this at least twice in the New Testament. Once again, we find Jesus bending down into the dirt. And yet this time, he's not writing down stuff for the Pharisees to see. But he's spitting in it and he's making mud. If the man were not blind enough, and as if he had not already suffered enough humiliation, Jesus takes this homemade mud and smears it over his eyes. Now, of course, this would have been considered unclean, impure. Not to mention, I'm going to throw a, na a, a, a theological word out there to you, nasty. Real nasty. I can't imagine the... Uh, the look on the blind man's face when he heard the spit. Like, what? Okay, what is going on here? No, no. But Jesus bends down, he takes some dirt, he spits in it, and he makes mud, and he smears it over his eyes. Jesus will take what is considered to be unclean and impure, and he uses it as an instrument of healing. But here is where the story gets even more peculiar. And he sends this blind man on a journey to wash the mud off of his own eyes. And he leaves him alone. So he can't see already. 
Uh, let's, go, let's go through this compassionate Jesus. The blind man can't see already. He, Jesus makes some mud out of his own spit. He takes it, he rubs it together in his hand, okay? He puts it on the blind man's eyes and he says, hey, blind man. I don't know, he probably didn't say it like that. But in my version, he did. Hey, blind man, go down to the pool called Siloam and wash off your eyes, okay? And then Jesus leaves him. Jesus doesn't take his hand and take him down there to the pool of Siloam to wash off. It seems like he's left all on his own now to make this blind man with mud smeared all over his face down to the pool of Siloam. And the Bible says... When he got down there and washed his face, he came up from the water. For the first time, he saw everything. The colors, the buildings, the people. Can you imagine the first people he would have wanted to run to, perhaps to his mom and dad, to see what their faces actually looked like? Because all he had ever felt was just their noses and their eyes and their chin with his hands. He's only run their, his hand through their hair to see what they looked like. But now he could see. Now he was no longer that helpless, hopeless, blind beggar. But now he was able to see through this very, very peculiar miracle. Now follow me through one more step here in our last point. I want you to see the response of the crowd. Verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. What is the response of the crowd? It's disbelief. Who's ever heard of such a thing? A blind man from birth now able to see? Now, isn't, isn't that the young boy that we've talked about in our homes over dinner? Isn't that the young boy that we've wondered how he's going to carry along after his parents go? Isn't that, now he's looking at me in the eyes, but I recall not too long ago a point where he had no eyes to look back at me. I remember throwing a coin in his cup so that he could have bread for the evening. All of them are in disbelief. How is this even possible? And his answer is this. Jesus. As a matter of fact, next week, as we'll learn, the Pharisees will be scrutinizing this story, trying to get him to get his story straight. How did this actually happen? And finally, the blind man says, here's all I know. Once I was blind, but now I see. Now, friends, here we see the trajectory of the man's life change completely. Just a few words on this page represent his whole life. But let me let you in on a secret. His story is our story. We were born spiritually blind. Like the blind man on the side of the road, we were helpless. Unable to do good. Unable to be righteous. We were helpless. We could not provide anything good on our own. 
We were hopeless. The best that we had to offer him was filthy rags, and our sin deserved not only our death, our separation from him, but our sins had, and our iniquities had put between he, the Lord, and us a barrier to which God would not look even across, would not even hear. And yet, on his way, while we were blind and helpless and hopeless, God stooped down into time and took on our flesh. And the Bible says we esteemed him not. And we didn't see him as beautiful, just like that mud that was spread across that blind man's eyes. And he brought sight to us. You weren't searching for him. You weren't, people say all the time, oh, I was searching for, you weren't searching for him. You may have tried to be a good person, a moral person, so that perhaps you could justify yourself before him one day when you stand before him on a judgment day. But no one, no one, I repeat, no one seeks after God. But there we were, blind, destitute, hopeless, helpless, when he bent down and gave us sight. The story of the blind man is our story. And because Jesus can give physical sight, we see he's able to open our eyes to him. And we see God will use something that's gruesome and pain, painful as the cross to purchase our freedom. To purchase our sight. By the way, let me tell you this. The world, when they come to us and they say, here's how things really ought to be. Here's how culture really ought to move. Here's what's really happening. You should acknowledge this. They're blind. We are born spiritually blind. Only Jesus gives sight. Only Jesus opens the spiritual eyes of a human being. And today, I want you to know Whatever you're going through in life today, if you have had a hard week or perhaps you've been running from Jesus or you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never seen your need for him, and all of a sudden in this moment you see him as beautiful. God loves you so much he sent his only son to come to this earth to live a perfect life and then on the cross to take your sin and my sin upon his very strong shoulders. And the Bible says that that same Jesus died on the cross and was taken and put in a borrowed tomb. But that's not the end because three days later Jesus rose from the grave and promises to everyone who will repent of their sins and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus that he will give you life and light we've seen here today the condition of the man our condition the compassion of the Savior same compassion he shows toward us the peculiarity of the miracle how could it be that through the cross and his shame and death, we could receive life. And so now it's our time to respond. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, during these next few moments as we have our time of invitation and response, I want to encourage you to come down and speak to me or another counselor. Or maybe you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you've forgotten. You've forgotten that your sight is not a gift from you, but a gift from him. If you've been running from him, if you're struggling in sin, whatever business 
that's going on in your heart that God is doing, I hope and I pray that you'll be faithful to respond to him as he directs. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.